Good morning. And those of you joining us online, good morning. I, I'm thinking the glue fumes will, will clear out of here in the next week or so. But we should just put in, I mean, where did you guys come from? We should just put in new carpet every week, right? Anyhow, um, hope, hope you're enjoying this. I, I'm going to sound like my grandparents right now, but I remember when that maroon carpet wasn't even here. I mean, we were like lugging chairs at youth group one night um, into this sanctuary. Look at me sounding like my grandparents right now. They were like, you know, we memorized the Bible every Sunday, and then we recited it. You know, it was, uh, I got to hear all that growing up, but it is fun to look back and see what God has done. Well, uh, I need to ask you a question, whether it's within your family, your household, your group of friends, uh, maybe your coworkers. Have you noticed that there, there is somebody that is like an, you go to if you consider them an authority on something? Okay, let me give you a few examples. This is how it goes in our house. All right. Um, decor. Decor. Who would you guess makes the decor decisions at our house? Not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, our girls, are, our girls are being trained in it. They just have like this, this natural eye for it, but it's Kara. I mean, it, I, I tried one time to do one thing, and I, I will never do that again, okay? Uh, number two, um, flowers, like planting flowers. What do you think? It's Kara. It's Kara. It's not me. It's not me. Okay, the lawn. Yeah, one of the biggest fights we ever had was Kara when she tried to do the lawn. I mean, I've, I, I, you hear me say this all the time. I had a lawn business years ago, and so if there's a lawn question... Like, it comes to me. Usually her question is, why haven't you mowed the lawn yet? And I go, oh, look, I'm the authority. I will decide when this happens. Um, dinner. Yeah, it's Kara again. It's Kara. Although I, I'm pretty good with, I, I got four. I got mac and cheese, ramen, cereal, and I can usually cut up fruit pretty well, okay? Uh, math. Math. That's, that's Nathan. And then finally, injuries. How do you think that goes? Keep in mind, Kara's a nurse. Surprisingly, they come to me because when your wife's a nurse, you know what happens? They've seen the worst of everything. So when you go to her and you're like, hey, I have a headache. And she's like, oh, did you take Tylenol? We go, no, I, I was hoping for just like a little, little more care than that. And she's like, yeah, until you do that, don't come talk to me until it's like four hours from now, okay? So we all have these areas of life that we just, we consider someone an authority and we ourselves are an authority. In. But let me ask you this. I want you to zoom way, way out from that and ask yourself, when it comes to my life, me and you, who is my authority? Who's my authority? I mean, that's easy to like give the church answer, right? We're all here on Sunday. You look left and right. Everybody in your mind, you're thinking, well, Jesus, he's my authority. And I get it. That's the Sunday church answer. But if you were to look across your life from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through the week, who really is my authority? Who's your authority? It's a question worth asking because the answer to that question, the answer to that very question is a very direction-shaping answer. And it will send a life in a completely different trajectory depending on how we answer it. The reason I bring this up is we've been going through the, the Gospel of Mark, and we've been in Mark 12 for a few weeks now. We're, we're getting through all of it today. But for the, the past few weeks, we've been, just been noticing Jesus is just being peppered by questions from one specific group, the religious authorities. And these authorities are coming at him because they, they're threatened. 
And their, their authority has been threatened. And so they're coming at him and they're just testing everything. They're wanting to find out, is he really worthy of, of people giving their, him their authority? of turning their lives over to him. And so they're peppering him and peppering him. And finally, Jesus, after he has, he has just satisfied all the answers or exhausted all their efforts, we read last week, from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions because he had just answered so well. But now, this morning, he's going to turn that question around. And now Jesus is going to do the asking of the religious authorities. But as I look at his question, I go, oh my goodness, this is a question for every single one of us. Take a look at the question. This is in Mark chapter 12, verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why did the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Now, if you're familiar with scripture, the, the son of David, is a, it's a common reference to Jesus. This comes up over and over. And it references the idea that Jesus came from the lineage of King David, Israel's second king. There was King Saul, and then he had King David. But Jesus came from this lineage, and, and it fulfilled all kinds of things. And so on the one hand, you go, what do you mean, Jesus? This is, this is what people call you. This is true of you. But he goes on. He's going to reference Psalm 110. He said, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus is going to drive home his point now. Verse 37. David himself calls him Lord. How then could he be his son? Wait, 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 I thought he was the son of David. But David calls him Lord. And the large crowd listened to him with delight. And of course they loved this. Because the religious authorities were always oppressing and pushing down on the crowd. And they were guilting them. And they were grinding down on them all the time. And Jesus is saying, look, look, look. Maybe, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a different meaning behind what they're teaching you. Maybe if, if you just were to think about what they're teaching you, you'd see something totally different about God that you haven't seen yet, that maybe you've had a blind eye to because of these men. It's as if David is saying, when you come back to Jesus' statement, he references Psalm 110, it's as if David is saying, look, the Messiah, somehow he's going to come after me, David, David knew somewhere down the line this Messiah is going to come. It's as if David is saying, somehow this Messiah comes after me, but he's also before me, and he's beyond me, and he's also for me. Which is a very different message than this large crowd had been getting. This large crowd, the message they'd been getting from the religious authorities is, look, if you just earn... If you just earn enough, if you just make enough effort, you will be right with God. And yet, this whole thing is, no, no, no. It's not by your efforts. It's not by your merits. It is by, as Graham said earlier, grace and grace alone. It is by a Savior. And so there is no, there is no like, King David didn't create this Messiah which is kind of the language they were using. He's the son of, he comes after. No, it, it, this, was, this, this Messiah was there before David ever existed. And he is a Messiah who is truly for the human heart and for the human soul and for this large crowd that was listening and for you and me today. 
See, it, it brings up a question, a very direction-shaping question for them and for you and I. And it's a very simple question. Who is Jesus to you? And I'm going to reemphasize, really, who is Jesus to you? See, the question for them, maybe in the context of that conversation, is, is, is this Messiah? Is he the fruit of David? Did he, is he just one who just generationally, chronologically, he came down the line? Is he the fruit of David? Or is he the root of David? As in, he was there at the beginning, and he created not just David, but all of, of human humanity. But it's a question for us, too. Who is he to us? Is he the fruit of our lives that we just, you know, we access him when we need him? Or is he the root of, of all our living and our being? Is he the origin of everything? Or is he an option that I turn to when I, when I need him? Is he, is he like truly the authority? Or, or is he an advisor? Like I call him in when I need him. Or for some, is he an enemy? I mean, you see that plenty in today's culture as well. And so what happens next is after Jesus poses this question, it's so interesting what Mark highlights to us. Because Mark basically holds up a contrast of two very different directions a life can go based on the answer to that question. And the first thing he's going to do is he's going to sit down and he's going to tell those that could hear him, just watch. Just watch. They're in the temple courts. And he's, he's on his way out. Remember, he has said the temple, God is done with it. It has become like a barren fig tree. God is moving on. But it's like on his way out. This is the last time he would ever be in the temple during his time on earth. On his way out, he says, now watch. Watch this. And he, he goes on. Do any of you, by the way, do we have any people watchers in here? Come on. It's not creepy. Come on. <laughs> I mean, even now, like when people walk into the sanctuary, I'm, I, I'll be talking, but I'm like, huh, I'm just observing. I'm just watching. Anyway, I wonder, I wonder if they're mad. I wonder if they're going to the bathroom. I wonder if they're coming back from the bathroom. I hope I don't verbalize this stuff every single Sunday. But anyway, so if you're a people watcher, you're in good company. Here's what Jesus says, verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. In other words, beware. Beware. Watch out for them. Not like, oh, they're going to they're come at you, but watch out for their teaching. Watch out for what they are indoctrinating, what they're teaching you. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. See, this is so interesting to me. The teachers of the law, they're the ones who have been trusted to wield the word of God the way he intended it to be wielded. And yet, Jesus highlights three offenses here. I mean, if you just look at this passage, you see them. First, the display. It just wasn't enough for God to see them. They needed people to see them. And so they loved to wear their, their long flowing robes. And at that time, a robe was a symbol of authority. You know, you'd walk, you know, today it's just a symbol. You got out of the shower or the bath, but it like was authority back then. And so they'd walk around and they love for people to look at them and go, oh, they're an authority. They have power. They loved the display. Second offense. <clears throat> they loved to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquet, at banquets. In other words, they loved to be elevated by humans. Now, 
we all got to look in the mirror and go, any one of us would love that. Yet Jesus says, as one who wields the word of God, you're shaped by it. You ought to be formed by it. God gave it to you for your guidance, for your, and not just for your guidance, but to, to, just, to just get into every fiber of our being. And yet, they're constantly chasing that human honor and elevation. And then third, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. That third offense was this exploitation of the less fortunate, of the oppressed, of the suffering. See, during those days, a woman's status was very connected to her husband. Okay, her, her, her status, her standing in society, her, her existence was very tied to her husband. And if and when a woman's husband died, a woman was often without provision, property, couldn't have property. As a woman, you had to go through, you had to have, your husband had to have it. And protection. Without all of it, and rather than having compassion on these ladies, as the very law they carried would have said, and you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, and God took widows under his wing, widows and orphans. Back in Deuteronomy, you know what God said? You will not, you shall not oppress a widow or an orphan. And yet those who walked around carrying the word of God, teaching people, you know what they did? They oppressed the orphans. Those who were already, they were at a disadvantage when it came to the provision and the property and the protection. They would demand from them. And they'd give them this message that just would grind them and grind them and grind them down. And the very teachers of the law, who should have been formed by it, who should have been formed by God's heart through it. Instead, they exploited their positions to enrich themselves at the expense of the people. See, that's the first direction a life goes that, that, that looks at Jesus and goes, well, you're an option. Ah, you're the, the fruit of my life, but maybe not the root of my life. That's the direction it goes. And, and of these men, here's what Jesus had to say in verse 40. These men will be punished most severely. See, they had God's word. God's word didn't have them. They loved the authority that God's word gave them. But they didn't sit under the authority of the word. You want to know what that first direction is, depending on your answer to who is Jesus, to you really? It's this, that a life that goes looking for love... Because that's really what they were after. Just, I want to be loved. I want to be loved. A life that goes looking for love easily becomes a life spent taking from people. See, when you get up in the morning, if you are not just assured by him of his love for you, you know what you're going to go through your day doing? You're going to start trying to extract it from everybody around you. And you're going to ask things of people that they were never meant to and cannot possibly give you. And this is what they were doing. There's a, there's a man named, I, I had to write down his, his name here. I knew it before I was up here. All right. Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford. Here's what he has to say. He said, in God's order, there is never a situation so desperate that it must grind people to powder or press an appeal at the cost of integrity. You know what that means? It means in, in, in doing ministry, in carrying out God's work to people, you don't run over people. 
You just don't do it. And yet that's exactly what the teachers were doing. Now, if I were to come forward to today, is this not really like the giant black eye on the face of Christianity? I mean, if I could just, without saying names, I mean, some of my own peers. I mean, I recognize. I was with a group of people not long ago who decided to air their opinions about pastors. And I was like, hey, I'm sitting right here, which might have intensified it. I don't know. But I get it. The church has created a lot of damage. I'm saying worldwide, not this one, okay? But no, I mean, churches everywhere have. And the reason for it, the reason for it is that we, we as the followers of Jesus Christ, have to remember that the greatest display of love that could ever be given was not given by humanity at all. It was given by God himself at the cross. We cannot, cannot, cannot forget that. Otherwise, we become like the uh, news story that I read. I think this just happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, when we're demanding authority and we're demanding that people respect our authority instead of his authority through us and, and his love being our authority. This was in Georgia, I believe, and maybe some of you saw this. A state patrolman in Georgia pulled over a county sheriff in Georgia. And what happened was people pulled over, and um, this is on a highway, when you're supposed to, you know, you got looky-loos on the highway, right? It's why everything backs up in the morning. It's why you have road rage, right? It's just, just keep driving, okay? Sorry, hypothetical situation that may or may not have happened this last week. But anyway, (laughs) state patrolman pulls over a county sheriff, and they're out on the side of the road, and they've got, you know, video. I think you can go on YouTube and find this. They're screaming at each other, and they're like, by the authority of the state of Georgia, I arrest you. And the other one's like, by my authority, I'm arresting you. And you're just sitting here giggling. And finally, they interviewed a bystander who was like, "I, I thought they were on the same team. Yeah. Turns out maybe they're not. And I just thought, that's what happens. This is what happens. God looks at the church and he says, listen, I'm going to deploy you in the work I'm up to. And yet, you got the teachers of the law. Jesus saw it. First and foremost and deepest. And he went, oh my goodness. If, if your life is spent looking for love from everybody else, it's going to easily, easily, and most likely become a life that takes from people. Now, it doesn't end there. Because now Jesus, and Mark is going to highlight this, we shift into a completely different episode. Interestingly, it has to do with a widow. And you may have grown up with this story in church and maybe in Sunday school. Jesus sits down, because he's a people watcher, all right? He sits down and, and watch what happens. Verse 41 see a totally different direction of a life. Verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Do you know who I think of when I read this verse? Ed Lore. Where's Ed? Okay, I love when Ed Lore is, when he collects offering over here, because if you've ever watched him, and he's just trying to do what Jesus is doing here, okay? So he, he, he walks up with the plate, and he hands it down, and then um, usually he pauses, And then he hands the plate back, and he sends it back down the row. It's beautiful. We pay him to do that, okay? So, no. But Jesus is, he's not watching to see the amount. Listen listen to how it progresses. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow, that is that one that he just referenced 
that these teachers of the law so easily oppressed. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. See, Jesus isn't in a back room counting up what she had given. And he's not in a back room counting up what you and I have given. You know what he's doing? He's watching the posture of the heart as it gives what it gives. And I don't know, I I highly doubt that this widow had any idea of what he had just spoken about the temple and how God was, was, he had referred to it as a barren fig tree. And I doubt she had any idea this conversation was going on. But when you look at what he says here, the grace permeating this situation is so, so, so incredible. And I believe this widow, she had a deep sense of what was happening in this moment, of this grace. First, the temple. Think about it. Remember what we just said a little bit ago? God has declared, look, the temple is going to be destroyed. Yes, you've seen God work in this temple, but it is headed for destruction. And yet, look at the grace here. On his way out of the temple, it's like Jesus stops, you know, before he gets his feet out the door, and he says, but. But God is still doing something in the midst of it. And then you look at at, at the fact that this is a woman. We've talked about this before. And and this is something that is probably difficult for us to grasp this day and age um, in the culture we live in. But you still see elements of it. The status of a woman in society. Like I said earlier, it was tied to a man. It was tied to her husband. And yet here's Jesus. He comes along and with no man in sight, he points her out and he says, she gets it. She exemplifies the love, the kindness, the generosity of God. She put in more than anybody. And finally, two mites. Two mites. This is two coins or two pennies. But they're also referred to as mites. Now, here's what's interesting. Jewish law would have required her to put in one mite. She would have had to put in one mite. But how many of us would have put in that one mite and been like, okay, but I got to keep something for myself. Not her, though. See, law took one might, love gave a second one. And instantly, we should be brought back to the Sermon on the Mount. If somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. That's what love does. If somebody sues you and they want your shirt, give them your coat as well. That's what love does. See, somehow this widow understood something that these teachers of the law who would just pour over the word of God over and over and they would teach it and they'd carry it around and they were known for it. She understood something so much more than they did. They carried the word of God around. They had the word of God, but the word of God had her. See, that's a very, very different place to live from. she's one who likely looked around her life and she noticed just how much grace had been poured out. See, that's a different direction in life. It's a completely different direction. The first direction, life spent looking for love, easily becomes a life spent taking from people. But a life spent living from love is a life spent giving for people. 
And you know where it shows up most often? This isn't the only place, but most often there's a reason Jesus talked about money and mammon so much. It shows up in money because money often moves in. It tries to grab hold of the heart. A man named Bill Leslie, years ago, he said, if you want to boil down what God's questions are about your money, it's pretty simple. How'd you get it? That is, did you, exp- did you oppress or exploit somebody to get it? What are you doing with it? That is, are you looking around, looking to further God's causes and what he's up to? And the third question, which so much of what Jesus said about money points at, what is it doing to you? How'd you get it? What are you doing with it? And what is it doing to you? See, that's, that's a question. That's a question that ultimately is answered when we answer the question, who is Jesus to you? Is he an authority? Or is he an advisor? Is he the origin of everything? Or is he an option? <clears throat> Jesus finally finishes up with this. They all gave out of their wealth. That, that's the rich people. They all gave out of their wealth. That is, they kept some back. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. And you see this over and over and over in scripture of people who offered to God, but some offered their all. And so what's the takeaway? Tithing is now 100% at this church, okay? Everything, everything, all right? No, it's not what I'm getting at. But we all ought to be willing to go have an honest... People come ask me, hey, what do you think I should do? And often my answer almost always is no, you go talk with him. Because that's what God wants. God wants the relationship in which you bring that question to him. And say, Lord, what would you have? You're my authority. What would you have me give? We either spend life looking for love or living from it. And your father, he's, he's much less counting what you put in as much as he's saying, are they giving sacrificially? Are they giving with the heart? Maybe the best way to sum it up, and I'll finish with this. The, maybe the best way to sum it up, last Father's Day. Last Father's Day, you know, we give our kids an allowance, and so they'll do chores around the house, and, and they, can, they get allowance. And so Father's Day, um, I, usually I have an inkling of what they're, they're going to give me, um, just because I'll, I'll, I'll just, they'll leave something out or write something down, or I'll overhear a conversation. And they just had been making comments about my shoes over and over and over. I just, these Adidas were falling apart. And it was like, just the three stripes were like the only thing holding them together, you know. And I've just always kind of had this thing. And, and this is not, this is not, this is my own conviction, not anybody else's, with Nike. I just, and it's much less, I'll admit, based on research than just hearsay. You know, I had just had become aware of some practices that I didn't love um, in, the, in the world of Nike and just went, ah, no thanks. You know, so my kids have always lo- known that I love Adidas. So it gets to Father's Day. They hand me this gift, and I open it up, and out I pull a pair of Nikes. And instantly, you want to know what wasn't there? All the judgment of what this gift is and all the stuff outside of my children, you know, what, you know what came to mind and filled my heart? It's a gift from my children. A gift from the heart. And so, 
walking around in Nikes right now. Why? Because as a dad, I love wearing the gift that my children gave me, and he loves the gifts his children give him from the heart. And so you got to choose. What direction is my life going? Am I going to be walking through this life, looking around for love or living from it? Let me pray for you as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, I say this every week, but your word is so, so, so rich. And we have only to look at it to be reminded. And so, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for church that we can show up and we can worship together. Thank you for the community that we have here. But thank you for your abounding, abounding, abundant, never-ending grace that you pour out on us. I pray that as a starting point, we would look around and with the eyes of this widow, that we would look around and notice the provision you've given us because ultimately what she knew and what a generous heart knows is that we give from the provision you first gave us. We could never outgive you. We could never, ever, we couldn't combine all of our lifetimes in this room and give more than you've given us. So open our eyes to that and give us a heart to give sacrificially to you and your purposes. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.